now is the time when we are going to read together the um, passage for the day. And you'll see it on the screens. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open your Bibles to that passage. Kids, on your coloring page, if you flip to the second page, I think, or the first page maybe, it has the printed text on the bottom and you can follow along. This comes from Luke 15, 1 through 7, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, he told them this parable. What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The word of the Lord. Thank you. Christian, can you hear me? All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's a beautiful morning. Absolutely gorgeous out there. I have a... A little bit of something to share with the kids this morning. So, I don't know how many we have here. We have a lot. Jill says we have a lot. Well, I don't know if they're able to come up, but I have a friend that you already know that I'd like to reintroduce to you. Does anybody remember his name? Max? Wooly. Why is his name Wooly, Max? Any ideas? Because he's made of wool. Yeah. This is also my dad's um, snuggle toy. (laughs) Sits on his bed. But in all seriousness, um, today's passage in Luke has a really profound meaning for all of us, but sometimes it's easy to get the thought of it all the way through with the kids. So kids, if you want to pay attention real close, I have an encouragement for you. If you want to come up here, we have just enough space. So I know you do, Paul. Come on. Well, that sun is right there. Wow. Those are ducky shoes. Um, Oh, you are so precious. Here, would you hold that? Do you want to come up here? You want to come up here? There you go. All right. That is precious. Yep. You want to hold that? That is really precious. You know, parents, Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. For such is the kingdom of God. Isn't that profound? We make it so complicated. 
I make it so complicated. I won't speak for you. But when I'm around little ones, I remember how simple it really is. Jesus said that unless we have the faith of one of these little ones, we're not even going to see his kingdom. Which I think is um, a good reminder for us as we're in Lent that uh, as we go through the remembrance of Jesus' life, isn't he cute? Yes. He touches nose right there. Yeah. He just wants us to touch him, Jesus. He wants us to reach out. And these little ones understand that intuitively. They trust their parents. If you say it's so, then it's so. Yeah, I thought that would take a few minutes. There you go. Oof. Wow, she jumped right off of there. Polly. So, little ones. Don't let, uh, don't let your relationship with God be complicated. Don't think that you have to wait until you get old to know Jesus because you don't. Jesus is ready and available right now for you to be his friend. And he's actually telling us adults to lighten up and to be more like you. Isn't that unusual? Everybody's in such a rush to get older and grow up, but in Jesus's world, he was trying to get us to get younger to slow down, simplify. And so thank you for reminding us, adults, us complex people, of the simplicity of our faith. Let's pray real fast. Jesus, we thank you for our little ones. We thank you for the future of our faith right here. We ask that you will protect them, that you will grow them up into fullness as sons and daughters of God, and that we adults would slow down and remember the simplicity of our faith in you. And for those of us who've made it a little too complex, help us today to come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Polly, I don't want him to have a haircut, okay? (laughs) Polly just got a mohawk, so I'm not sure Wooly would look so good with a mohawk, but you get the idea. Yeah, he might. Wow, I'm trying really hard to, uh, yeah, that's better. Look, if you will, at Luke chapter 15. Paige and I had a, a chance to actually go to uh, Europe a couple weeks ago for our 20th wedding anniversary, and yeah, she put up with me for 20 years, uh, so it was a celebration for me, uh, might have been blackmail for 20 more, I don't know, um, we had a blast, thank you for your prayers, because we felt them, and it was a very peaceful and, and beautiful experience, but while we were at the, uh, in Europe, we got to go to Switzerland and Rome, or Roma, as they say. 
And uh, it was a beautiful city. And we got to go into the Vatican, and we got to see the Vatican Museum. And I saw a sculpture there. Chris, if you can get that up. Look at that. I think he's holding woolly. You see him? You see that, sh- that little lamb in his arms? And then the other's following right behind him. That was in the Vatican Museum. It's uh, about a thousand years old. Kind of grounds us a little bit to these scriptures, doesn't it? To remember that someone over a thousand years ago was inspired enough by the verses that we're about to read to make that sculpture. Because that sculpture is our verse for today. And I'm going to leave it up just as a visual reference to the tenderness of God and his heart towards us. Luke chapter 15, we just read it. I'm going to pick a couple verses to focus in on as as keys. And it's going to be the first two verses to start with. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Um, as we remember the last few weeks and months, as we've been going through the, the, the Gospel of Luke, we've sort of seen this progression of the life of Jesus from the prophetic announcement of John the Baptist through the temptation of Christ. We've looked at the, the different facets of his ministry as he went and did and changed and, and revived lives. And we've seen parables and we've seen experiences where he's confronted by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And we've seen this theme, haven't we? It keeps coming back. The, the religious crowd rejected him. But those that were on the fringes, now they, they were intrigued, weren't they? And so we see these parables uh, and these actual historical narratives of things that Jesus did over and over again. And Luke 15 is just another example of several through the Gospels of Jesus actually talking to a religious crowd, and he's actually sort of insulting them in a very gracious way. And what he's doing is he's helping them to reset and recalibrate their thinking. Because he could tell by the reaction of the crowd that they were uncomfortable with the fact that he was hanging out with the non-religious. And in particular, sinners and publicans, the group of people that would not normally find themselves welcome in a church or a synagogue, probably not even Hebrew. And so these people were considered uh, dirty or unholy. Jesus was growing his reputation as a holy man, as a genuine prophet. Too many signs and wonders had happened by now that they could reject that. So they were very offended by the audience and his acceptance of that audience. And it was in that circumstance that he tells the parable of the good shepherd. Remember that Jesus' ministry on earth was to heal the brokenhearted, to set captives free. We talked about that around Christmas time. Remember that his heart was towards the restoration of man and God. 
He was active in finding those who were on the fringes of their faith. His ministry was mostly conducted outside of the walls of a church. Think about that. He was outside of the church. I'm sure it was offending a lot of the church. He is uh, repeatedly shown by the, by the physician Luke in this gospel that he can heal about any sickness that can come across his path. He's physically raising the dead. He's healing those that have demons. He's restoring prostitutes. He's ministering to the Roman guards, the centurions, the leaders of the occupying force against the Hebrews. He's even befriending IRS officials. And uh, the people are responding. They're seeing that this is a different leader than they've been exposed to. We've talked about this in the past, but as we come into Luke 15, it's as if Jesus is saying to them, wait a second, you're not hearing me. Let me say this to you in a way that might make more sense, or maybe you'll finally get this. So let's look at verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost till he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls his friends and his neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is relentless with this message. He tells it to him in a variety of different ways just to make sure that no matter who's in the audience at whatever time, they're beginning to see that Jesus is desperately concerned about the state of everyone not just those that are familiar with the church, not just those that have a background in the faith of the Jewish culture. He's actually actively involved in speaking to those that are uncomfortable with the church. In fact, so much so that he's saying he would leave all of those comfortable people to go find the one who found themselves alone. Well, In our world, shepherding is a little bit of a lost art. I've never actually um, met a shepherd, not really. I've heard about them. I had some friends growing up that had sheep, but they didn't really shepherd their flock. They sort of kept them in a fence and fed them, sheared them, and let them go. But in Jesus' time, shepherding was a big deal. So I'm going to take a second and give us just a little bit of the insight of what a shepherd would be doing for a flock in Jesus' time. And then we're going to dive into this sermon. This is still the setup, but it will move quickly, I promise. A human shepherd was tasked with protecting the flock from harm. To care for the sick, the wounded, and the young. A human shepherd was needed to lead the sheep from safe pasture to safe pasture, 
across dangerous and unfamiliar terrain, to lead them to safety, to good water, to grass, shelter, and protection. That's a good shepherd. He was also careful to keep the flock together, redirecting the wandering or lost sheep. He was exceptionally aware of the oldest and youngest among his flock, alert for stragglers, and prepared if needed to carry the weak or wounded to safety if needed. There you go. That's the context for this image of being a shepherd. So when Jesus is sharing this parable with this mixed audience, some were very religious, some were very not religious, he's speaking to both of them in completely different ways at the same time. He's saying to the religious, I value you, but I'm not going to stay with just you if there's lost. I'm going to leave you to go do what I was missionally called to earth to do, to heal broken hearts, set captives free. He was also saying to those who felt like they were outside of the flock, those sinners and publicans, hey, I'm coming for you. I am not just going to wait for you to come to the synagogue. I have a message for you, and it's a message of hope. And you're valuable enough to me that I'll leave everything else just for you. That's the gospel. That's our hope as Christians. But it's also our mission, isn't it? It's more than just a story. It's actually sort of Jesus' early marching orders. Now, the disciples probably didn't catch it as such. So I'm going to go ahead and share with you something more than a soundbite. In our culture, speakers and teachers and politicians are often given a soundbite on the the evening news. A soundbite is just a very specific phrase of a larger comment. And it's used to position them in our minds as being conservative or liberal or pro-life or not pro-life, but it's manipulative. And so we've been trained as savvy media consumers that we are to be incredibly skeptical of soundbites, right? You hear a soundbite and you immediately go, I wonder what they really are like. So in your mind, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, there's a temptation here to think that Jesus wasn't really talking to you about this parable of the sheep, that that was just sort of a parable for good people, really, a couple thousand years ago. It doesn't actually work today because I've really kind of messed it up too much. I've actually been given a couple of chances and I've blown them all, and so... I'm sure that's a nice pastor guy up there talking, but he's not really speaking to me. But I am. Because I was one of those sheep. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have recognized me. That's another story. But Jesus came for me. So I can actually vouch personally that this is true. But I want to go through three examples very quickly about this shepherd. Now let's see if he was just giving us a soundbite here in John 15 or Luke 15, or if there's actually examples after he says this parable in his life that would back up what he just said. I mean, is this just a politician stumping, or is this someone who's actually committed to lost sheep? Well, let's find out. We're going to talk about three people, Thomas, Peter, and Paul. 
those three people, as we talk about them, you're going to immediately connect with one of them at least. You're going to go, oh, that's me. (laughs) That's definitely me. Or you're going to go, I'm a little bit of this one, I'm a little bit of that one. And at different times in my life, I could really identify with all of these, these men. The point of it isn't for you to find out which personality type you are in this study, which is fun. But it's actually to see that God isn't limited in any way to any lost sheep at any time or any place or any personality. But specifically, we're going to jump on board of our Faith 2.0 thought. Do you remember that? We talked about this guy, Thomas. Does everybody remember Thomas? If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, I'm going to remind you about Thomas. Example number one to see if Jesus is really what he says he is or if that was a soundbite. John chapter 20. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas. Thomas is the pragmatist. Pragmatic Thomas. He has a broken heart of hope. If you've got notes, write that down. That's point number one. This is the first kind of lost sheep that Jesus goes after. This is months after Luke 15. So now we're beginning to see evidence that this wasn't a soundbite, that Jesus wasn't just up saying some platitude about parables about sheep and going for the lost ones. This is Jesus' actual first example of doing it. Thomas is lost. He is not with the flock. He's been wounded. He is disillusioned. He has a broken heart. He had put his hope in Jesus. And Jesus died. He didn't cause the overthrow of the Roman government. He didn't change the kingdom that he was living in. And so Thomas, with his fullest heart of faith, is empty. He has nothing left. And all these disciples are saying, we saw him. He actually is alive. He's like, dude, seriously? Until I touch it, it's not real. I'm not, I cannot give him my heart again. I don't have anything else to give. Any of that sound familiar? I'm sure it does. So Jesus is a good shepherd. And Jesus says, I'm going for Thomas. And we talked about this about a month ago. And so he not only went once, but he went twice for Thomas. And finally, he gets to Thomas and he says, Thomas, look, here. See my side? See my hands? Touch them. He wasn't offended that Thomas needed to touch him. He wasn't upset that Thomas had doubts and questions about his faith. He made himself accessible. So Jesus is this good shepherd. This is, this is proof that the soundbite was real. It wasn't just a little piece of a larger discussion. This is actually the focus of Jesus' entire ministry. He is going after the brokenhearted. He is here to set captives free. Example number one. Pragmatic Thomas. We've talked about him. But if you're a Thomas, (laughs) you're not going to believe that just from one example, right? If you're really a Thomas, you're going to say, well, that's one example there, Pastor. But what? I need, like, more. I need a little more evidence here. Like, that's that's great. 
But if Jesus is really a good shepherd and he's really about finding the lost sheep, then there's probably a lot of lost sheep, right? Yep, there is. So let's talk about Passionate Peter. Turn the page. John chapter 21. Immediately, Jesus goes after another lost sheep. Do you guys remember Peter? Simon Peter? John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter says to the disciples, I'm going fishing. (laughs) If we weren't in Tennessee, that would actually be just a metaphor. Uh, Simon's, uh, Simon's really got a broken heart too. His heart is broken in a different way than Thomas. Passionate Peter, Simon Peter, reaching the broken heart of personal pain. That's point number two. Point number one was pragmatic Thomas, reaching the broken heart of hope. And I, I whizzed through Thomas because we did that a couple weeks ago. We're going to linger a little bit on passionate Peter, example number two. Reaching the broken heart of personal pain. Jesus has such a shepherd's heart. He is making it his business to find his disciples that have been wounded. He hasn't given up on Peter. Do you guys know why Peter might have gone fishing? Do you might remember the story? Most of you, maybe? Some of you? Let me give you a quick recap. Peter was the, uh, well, Peter was loud. He's someone that uh, we might call boisterous. He was full of zest and passion and enthusiasm. He was the first to volunteer and really probably the least to contribute. Um, He was all talk. Peter was spirited, but he had a genuine heart of the disciple. He was the first to speak, and he was actually the first to to notice that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the first to get up on the water, wasn't he? He walked on water. He was one of the first to abandon his previous life and identity as a fisherman and follow this mysterious Jesus of Nazareth. And despite his obvious faults, Peter was a sincere and sold-out follower of Jesus. He was able to actually be invited to share in the moment of Christ's transfiguration on the mountain. He was promised to become the rock on which the church would be built. And I'm sure as they traveled Galilee and in the regions of Judah, that he was a significant voice for the disciples. I'm sure that they heard a lot about Peter. They probably heard Peter a lot. Peter was very loud. Anybody know Peter? Maybe you are one. Peter is the sort of the heart of the disciples. He's the very heartbeat of these guys, and he was definitely in the inner circle. Peter's rise was only equaled and exceeded by his fall. Peter went from a treasured state of being intimate with Jesus to the one who denied his very friendship and even knowledge of him when it mattered the most. You guys remember the story about the rooster that crows three times? Let me refresh it. Peter is at the table. 
He's, uh, he's at the Last Supper. And Jesus is talking to them, the last real significant words to his disciples before his crucifixion. And he's saying, some, some of you are going to deny me. And what's Peter say? I mean, Peter, man, you can just see him. Not me! No! Not me, Lord! I would never deny you. I will die before I deny you. I mean, I got guys in marketing meetings at work that, no, we can do this, you know. Uh, I've got a guy in mind right now that is Peter. I'm not going to say his name, but uh, Robert knows who it is. Um, Their hearts are this big, aren't they? I mean, their heart is genuine. It's pure. There's nothing deceptive about that heart. But it is way, way underestimating what they just said, right? Like, they're simplifying a very complex issue and it's only very, very straightforward. I will, I will be different. I will be good, God. And within a few hours, what happens? Jesus is captured. He's taken before the chief priests. He's beaten. He's flogged. And Peter is so afraid, he can't even, like, he, he, he can just see him. He's torn. He can't, like, go with Jesus because that's too scary. But he can't actually abandon him either. So he's, like, he's just sort of in earshot. He's sort of walking around the grounds of the, the high priest's temple. He can hear what they're doing. He can kind of tell that something's really wrong. And then what happens? He's, like, simple people start asking him, like, aren't you Galilean? Aren't you, aren't you with that Jesus guy that they're beating right now? And, no, no, I never knew him. And then it says he cursed. Like, he got really vehement. Like, no, I don't know this Jesus. I mean, Peter was bipolar or something, okay? 12 hours before, he is going to die for Christ. 12 hours later, I never heard of the guy, okay? Does that sound like your Christian faith? Oh, come on. It does, doesn't it? Max, put your hand down. Yes. We are just like Peter in many ways. Man, we have a quiet time. We hear a song. We go to a camp. We go to a retreat. We have these experiences. We will die for Jesus. And 24 hours later, you know, we're screaming at our kids and taking his name in vain. At least I know some people who do that. Peter's just like us. But Peter, being an apostle later, doesn't know he's going to be an apostle at this moment. Peter has... A broken heart. Because the rooster crowed. And Jesus told him, Peter, and you, you got to know that Jesus told him this so there would be a glimmer of hope for him. He said, Peter, I love you, man. I love your heart. I love you. I know what you mean, and I know you're sincere, but you're going to deny me three times before even morning. And so he does. And when that rooster crows, can you imagine... Can you imagine what Peter felt like? Oh. Oh. He was right. I'm not worthy of this Christ. And so Peter leaves the flock. And he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he says, Who was I kidding? A disciple of Christ? Are you kidding me? I'm just a simple fisherman from Galilee. And that's all I know, and that's all I'll ever be, and that's what I'm going to go back to being. Does that sound familiar to anyone? God ever call you to do something, and then you found yourself disqualified somehow, and you walked away 
He went back. Not because you didn't trust God. Because you didn't trust yourself. See, Peter was a lost sheep just like Thomas. But Thomas's heart was broken because he placed his trust in something that wasn't really trustworthy. Thomas had placed his hope in what he thought Jesus might do for him, not in Jesus. Peter, Peter's heart is broken in a completely different way. Peter's heart is broken because he has failed his Savior in a profound and undeniable way. And so he has taken himself out. Peter said, I'm not worthy. I'm going to Galilee. So let's go back to the story. That was the context. John 21, verse 4. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and, and yet the disciples didn't know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said, cast the net on the right side, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. It's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he, he reacts like Simon. He jumps out of the boat. He's excited, scared, nervous. Now let's go forward. Jesus meets him on the bank, verse 15. They have breakfast, fish for breakfast. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Looking at the the boats and the fish and the stuff that was familiar and comfortable and safe for him. He said, do you love me more than this? I'm I'm sure Simon isn't even able to look at Jesus in the eyes, you know? I'm sure he's talking to him like, just, yes, you know, just broken. He said, yes, Lord, you you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him, Simon, son of John, do you you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And third time, Simon, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How cool is it that Jesus says it three times? I mean, theologians for thousands of years have noticed this. You know, Peter denies Christ three times. Jesus comes back to him and asks him three times. You love me? He knows the answer. What was the point? The point is he went for his sheep. He had to grab Peter's heart again and heal it. He had to say, Peter, I knew you were going to blow it. That's not why I called you to be my disciple. I called you for your heart. You think Peter got it? I think so. Go see and read First and Second Peter. He wrote those sometime later. Gave up his life for Christ. Became a man of great influence in his world. Jesus was concerned enough about Peter to come for him. I think he's concerned about us, even for those of us who've had personal failure, those of us who have had moral collapse, where we broke our word, where we violated our promises. I'm a Peter. I can talk about it. I did that, and God restored me. 
He can do it for you. So that's example number two. Not a soundbite now. We actually have a trend starting to, to form. Jesus talks about he's a shepherd that goes after lost sheep. We see Thomas. Now we see Simon Peter. Well, what about Paul? This is our last point, and we'll wrap it up. Pretentious Paul. Did you guys notice that these all start with peace? I worked really hard on that. Third point, pretentious Paul. Reaching the broken heart of the sincerely wrong. Reaching the broken heart of the sincerely wrong. Acts chapter 9. We'll jump right in in verse 1. But Saul, who becomes Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that he could find them, if he found any belonging to the way or men and women who followed Jesus, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he had a UFO encounter. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, what happens here? Saul is interrupted on his way to Damascus. Saul is a rising star in the Hebrew hierarchy. A very learned man, very wise for his time and age, very educated and very passionate. Saul is convinced that he's right. And he is passionately not only committed to follow Christ himself, but he has made it his mission to make everybody else in the world follow Christ just the way he is, right? But he's not following Christ yet. He's following the old Hebrew faith before the new covenant. So he's, he's following Yahweh before he's Yahweh, Elohim. He's following God the Father as he knows him. And he's saying, if you're not following God the Father, you're a heretic, you're, you're out of bounds, you, you're a danger to the truth. And so he's convinced that this Jesus and his followers of the way are heretics. They're trouble. They're dangerous. And so he makes it his business to go out of his way to capture them and take them back to Jerusalem for trial, for punishment, for beating, for flogging, for murder, whatever the tribunal would give him. And Jesus, who is now resurrected, so this is example three, actually shows that Jesus can find lost sheep whether he's on the earth or in heaven. (laughs) He actually steps into this situation and he says, hold a second. Hold it. Saul, I love your heart, but you're dead wrong. You're dead wrong. Have you guys ever met Christians like that? I mean, have you ever run into, or maybe you are one, or you struggle with it, this sort of desire to tell everyone else about how you should live, and like, this is the absolute only way to Christ, and this is the only way to live your devotional life, and this is the only way to enter into worship? Have you been around that experience? Have you, have you had that experience maybe yourself? Maybe you were raised in a really strict Christian environment, and you went to a good seminary or a good... Sunday school, or you've been through some ministry training, and because of that, you felt like you really had a grip on how every single thing about God works. That can give you a broken heart. That can give you a broken heart, because there comes a point where you realize you don't. And that's what happened to Saul. 
because Jesus himself interrupts him supernaturally on a road, blinds him, and then shows himself to him in a vision and says, everything you thought you knew, you're wrong about. Everything. He strips him of the one thing that made Saul, Saul. Confidence. Conviction that he was right. And in one moment, Jesus took it from him. And he said, you don't know anything. These people are right. These people you're attacking are my people. Stop it. You are blinded by your pride. So I will blind you physically to get the message across. You see that connection? Wow. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. But Ananias, this poor guy in Damascus, God asked to to help Paul, is very uncomfortable with the idea of helping the guy that's been killing his friends. And he says in verse 13, Lord, I've I've heard much. I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And and here, here in Damascus, Lord, he has authority from the chief priests to bind anyone who calls on your name. Are Are you sure this is the guy? And the Lord says to him, go, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and children of Israel. Guys, from that moment on, Saul becomes Paul. And most of the New Testament was written by this guy. You guys realize that? This is the same guy. He was a lost sheep. He was away from the flock. And Jesus literally interrupted his life from heaven and said, no. No, this one's mine. I'm coming for him. We now have three specific examples. And if if we had more time, we could go through the entire scriptures And I can show you example after example after personal experience after testimony of how Jesus is a good shepherd and he comes for us when we get lost, when we are wandering, when we are lame, when we are weary. He will be coming for you. He will come. And he's not just going to come for you the way he did for Thomas or for Peter or for Paul. He's going to come to you Specifically to heal your broken heart, your specific wound that can't seem to go away on its own. He's not going to generically approach us. It's not like a form you fill out and suddenly you're, you're, you're back. How cool is that? So let's think about this. If this wasn't a sound bite, if this is really a principle of Scripture, that Jesus actually comes for the lost sheep, if he's willing to interrupt us from our familiar, from our comfortable, then he really is a good shepherd. Read John 10 if you want. It's a, it's a beautiful illustration of this principle. But uh, since we're in an artist community, I looked at this story, and uh, we had graphics, but they... We had some technical challenges this morning, but the title of this sermon was actually A Shepherd's Heart, A Three-Part Harmony. You see, Thomas, Peter, and Paul, they sort of form this beautiful three-part harmony, don't they? As you look at the story from, from our perspective, 
Jesus talks about being a shepherd, and then he actually goes and does it. He actually goes to these people, and he, he backs up what he says with his life. And you have these three illustrations that when you put them together, they're beautiful. They, they harmonize. You see the parallels. You see, you see how they blend together, and you see the similarities of how Jesus changes his, his approach with each of them, but the, the substance is the same. Do you see as we go into Lent, as we're looking now into Easter, that Jesus went after the lost sheep of Israel as well? Not just an individual, but an entire group of people that were the children of Abram. He, he saw that the entire nation had gone astray. They were lost. And so he, as the good shepherd, he actually came and brought the whole nation back to himself. You see that? That's called the Old Testament. <laughs> the entire Old Testament is this love story about Jesus bringing a lost people back to himself. And then as we go into Easter, you look at it and you go, okay, so not only did Jesus bring the entire lost nation of Israel back to himself, but he made a way for all people to come back to himself. And so this little simple parable in Luke 15, it's, it's pretty profound because it actually seems to have an infinite number of ways to understand it. It reaches uh, both in and out. It reaches forward and back, across time and into the past. It confronts us from living life in a safe way to being missional, doesn't it? Because later Jesus will say to his disciples, I want you to go and do likewise. I want you to go and make disciples of all men baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, I, I want you to do this. I want you to be a good shepherd. I want you to look for the Thomas and the Peter and the Paul in your life. And I want you to go to them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go find them. Bring them back. They've got a broken heart. Lead them to me and I'll heal them. Man, we could talk forever about this, but we're not. I want you to just close your eyes as we get ready to head into the, the Lord's Supper here. I just want you to, to meditate on something. Do you see in your own past, maybe present, how you might be a Thomas or a Peter or a Paul. You see that? Can you see where you might be far away from God? Where you might have wandered? You may have just fallen behind. You may have gotten lost. As we get ready for the Eucharist, it's a great time to come back. Because I might actually be Jesus talking to you right now. And he may be saying, I love you enough to leave everything else just for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. It resets our thinking from being religious to missional. It reminds us you have a heart of a shepherd 
You just want to protect us. You want to care for us. And when we, we get lost, you come back for us. You put us on your shoulders and you, you actually lead us into your presence. So forgive us, Lord, as we resist that. And help us to let go of the things that we put in place of you in our life. And in the season of Lent, Lord, we, we're conscious of the need to let go of stuff and move closer to you. And so we, we refresh ourselves in your word this morning. We ask for your Holy Spirit as we enter into your presence at a time of remembrance that you would bring the things to mind that need to go. And we would renew our commitment to do that today. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.